0: Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. It is a crucial day in Ottawa for the Trudeau government. Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christy Freeland presents her fall economic statement this afternoon in the midst of an affordability crisis that is putting Canadians across the country un- under financial pressure, that government is also under pressure to cut back on its own spending. The Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, insisted last week that fiscal restraint is nothing new for his government.
1: We are a government that has always exercised fiscal restraint. We continue to deliver investments in Canadians while remaining responsible fiscally and have all the way through and that's more of what i'm
0: exciting to excited to share next week with the fall economic update judging by the polls though prime minister trudeau has a job ahead to convince voters that the economy is indeed in good hands stephanie levitz is a parliamentary reporter for the toronto star stephanie good morning
2: good morning matt
0: why is this particular moment so crucial for justin trudeau's government
2: if we cast back about a year, Matt, <clears throat> not even um, to the spring budget, and you know that was really the first post-pandemic budget for the Liberal government—a chance to sort of refocus their energies and attention on a few things, notably the green economy, um, some affordability measures at the time. But the challenge came in the in the months after that, where Canadians began really losing faith in in the Liberals to be the stewards of the economy and the stewards of government. And ever since the summer, the Liberals have been in such a downward spiral in the polls that it is really raising the question of what can they do to restore that public trust and restore that public confidence and hold off um, you know, the opposition parties, notably the Conservatives, mm. who are really surging here. And is this fall economic update, is it the moment in which they can sort of signal that, yes, you can still trust us and here is why?
0: The moment comes at a time when many Canadians are struggling to make ends meet, worried about... High interest rates, worried about the cost of groceries, worried about the cost of heating their homes as the temperature begins to fall through the floor. And so in that context, what sort of tone, we heard a little bit of that from the prime minister, but what sort of tone uh, has the prime minister and his cabinet been striking in the lead up to today?
2: One of the things they've been trying to emphasize is that it's not as though they've been doing nothing and trying to, you know, there's been a narrative building, I think, since the House of Commons came back in September where the government has deliberately focused not on the billions of dollars they've been pushing out the door over, say, the last six, eight even, you know, months and years, what they've been doing is turning those dollars and saying, hey, look, this money is going to build 3,000 homes. This money is going to allow X number of people to work in this particular field and sort of focus on some of the tangible results. One of the things I'm definitely expecting today is for the fall economic statement to knit together that narrative, to present a story to Canadians. This is what we have been doing with your money, Mm. and this is what we'll keep doing with your money in order to make specifically housing both more accessible and more affordable for more people. Housing is top of mind
0: for so many people. (laughs) The reality, though, is that many houses that might be announced and those projects won't actually be built for a long time. And for people who right now are trying to find somewhere affordable to live the announcements may be cold comfort. You broke the story in the Star of a housing announcement that might have more immediate impacts, and this is around Airbnb and short-term rentals.
2: Yeah, this is a a fascinating little piece. I mean, we've watched over the last few years about municipalities and provinces both seeking to regulate the use of renting properties for short-term purposes on platforms like Airbnb and VRBO. But despite the regulations, a lot of those places are still getting rented to tourists or at jacked-up prices for international students. And they're very lucrative for people to do that. And so what the federal government has recognized is that they need to get existing supply of homes back as what they were intended to be, which is long-term residences for people. And so what they're going to announce today is measures to make that you know less lucrative for you. So right now, if you rent out a property, you can claim those expenses for renting that property against your income, which means you walk away with a lot more money. And they're going to take that ability to make those tax deductions away, hopefully making it then less financially attractive for you to rent that property on a short-term basis, and maybe you'll convert it to long-term rental. But they're only gonna do that in places where, air places, uh, short-term rentals on Airbnb, VRBO, similar platforms, where those are already regulated. Because that's, that's the federal government can't
0: regulate the, those short-term rentals, right? That's under the purview of, of municipal government.
2: Yes, municipal or provincial, but they do have this tax lever, right. um, and there's been a lot of calls for them you know, to use this tax lever. I think the province of British Columbia, which has really been cracking down on short-term rentals recently, is going to be quite excited about this because it's, it's an incentive. I mean, if, you're, you know, if you have a short-term rental and there's some fine or something under the municipal government, maybe you're going to say, eh, $500, whatever, I'll pay it. I'm still going to make $100,000 this year but you're making that money because of the tax deduction. So if they remove that, Mm. maybe you think twice. We
0: heard the prime minister say that this is a government that has always exercised fiscal restraint.
2: Is that true? (sighs) I mean, I think, you know, in political terms... It's a big sigh, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) it's, It's tricky, you know, because the pandemic really upended the sort of traditional narratives about governments ebb and flow and supply and and how they've funded budgets and what they've chosen to do with their money because the pandemic you know pushed canada into a significant deficit it's also worth noting that the current deficit as it stands now is driven quite substantially by payments to indigenous communities for various settlements and human rights tribunals and you know you can't you can't just remove those you can't cut your way out of those payments The question becomes for the opposition parties when they look at how the deficits have piled up over the years. Was that spending necessary? Did it really improve the lot and life of Canadians in a meaningful way that lasts? Or was it about political promises that needed to be fulfilled and and some kind of ideological imperative on the part of the government? Mm -hmm. The government will argue that some of the choices it's making, um, early learning and childcare, so the much-vaunted average $10 a day daycare program, some of the green industrial strategy funding we're beginning to see come out. Now, those are investments that matter today, but they really matter in the long term. So perhaps it was not restraint in the sense that they drive deficit spending, but it was longer term. You don't need to focus constantly on the deficit. That's the government's point of view.
0: This is yeah. Well, I was going to say, this is an important point because of what the opposition has said. Let's hear from Pierre Polyev, and then I'll get you to respond to, to, to what he said. Um, has put forth a message that seems to be if you believe the polls seems to be resonating have a listen we've never had middle-class homeless crisis like that we do now today we're talking about nurses and carpenters who live in their cars this would have been unimaginable before justin trudeau as would the tent cities we now see in every major town in our country now The fall economic update is coming. Justin Trudeau must reverse the inflationary policies that have driven people out of their homes, driven interest rates up, and caused mass despair and misery. Stephanie Levitz, how successful has Pierre Polyev been in laying the blame for the affordability crisis at the feet of the Prime Minister?
2: If you believe the polls, he's been immensely successful. I mean, he's seen his party's, you know, growth um, just skyrocket compared to his predecessors. And his personal growth is also skyrocketing in terms of people who are looking to him as somebody that they like, somebody that they trust, somebody that they think ought to run the government. And he's been quite successful um, at, you know, harnessing people's anger and fear and frustration and then giving them somebody to blame for it, whether that's fair and accurate. I mean, it's been said many times about Mr. Polyev that when he talks about the inflationary crisis, he often skips over the the basket of things that have caused inflationary pressures in this country and around the world and blames it all on Justin Trudeau. Recently, though, in recent more months, when you have you know, the governor of the Bank of Canada coming out and saying, you know, I'm doing what I can for interest rates, but it would be really nice if the federal government was sort of doing the same thing and not spending money and not creating inflationary pressures. It gives a little more oomph to the message that Mr. Polyev has, mm-hmm. and it continues to resonate for people.
0: Some of that money um, in the spending of the money is being urged by the partners of the Liberals in the supply and confidence deal. Um, the NDP has pushed for, for policies pharmacare among them, that will cost money. What sort of influence do you think Jagmeet Singh has had on this economic statement?
2: I think that it's definitely a no surprises document for the New Democrats in the sense that um, they, the liberal government cannot have anything in there that risks the New Democrats voting against this particular document and therefore bringing down the government. In terms of actual dollar spend, I mean, the NDP is definitely after money. We're not going to see, excuse me, <clears throat> the pharmacare money in the budget in the fall economic statement today. We are going to see some other priorities of the New Democrats reflected, most notably more action on the part of the Liberal government to deal with price gouging, price fixing, Mm. tweaks to competition laws um, to tackle this persistent issue that is it the grocery industry itself that makes your prices at the grocery store so high beyond inflation.
0: Just before I let you go, very briefly, does it matter? What the Prime Minister says, what what Christy Freeland, the Deputy Prime Minister, says today, there are pollsters, Bruce Anderson among them, who have said in some ways that Canadians are tuning the Prime Minister out, no matter what he, he offers.
2: That's likely a fair assessment. But, you know, there's the vote. The question is whether polls are a material moment in time. Yes, if an election were held today, you know, the vast majority of Canadians are now signaling that perhaps they would vote the government out. Or are they just angry? And they're venting right now about their anger and their frustration, and they're picking up on Mr. Polyev's message, blaming the government. And maybe when it comes down to Election Day and casting a ballot, they might feel a little bit differently in the ballot box.
0: Really great to have you back on the program, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Stephanie Levitz, parliamentary reporter with the Toronto Star.
2: Hello,
1: I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Café with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Café. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Tyler Meredith is a senior fellow at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto, He's also a former economic advisor to the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Tyler, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. What does the government need to do to show Canadians that it can meet this moment?
1: Well, I think if you consider that the fiscal tightening, uh, sorry, the, the monetary tightening that's happened in Canada, and if you compare us to the rest of the G7, has been the the, the tightest here in Canada relative to almost any other country, um, which means that interest rates have gone up higher than uh, than they have in a lot of other places relative to our level of inflation. I think that the thing that the government is trying to do is to put in place a framework that will give people confidence that those interest rates can come down, because the faster that those interest rates come down, uh, it will give uh, businesses and consumers confidence to be able to spend it also I think give people a bit of a sigh of relief as they've experienced higher mortgage costs in the last year in particular um, and higher costs of frankly everything um, that there is a there is a
0: confidence uh, that we can see on the horizon. And of course the government doesn't control the Bank of Canada. We had the governor of the Bank of Canada on this program who expressed some concern that perhaps politicians were offering suggestions or advice to him. You've been in the room while this government makes its economic policy. If you take a look at the affordability crisis right now, what could be done, what could be said in this economic statement that would make a real difference in people's lives right now?
1: Well... I think, and it's not just about this this economic statement, it's going to be about this economic statement and the budget that comes in the spring and the the economic statement that comes after that, because the government probably has four uh, shots at this before the next election. Um, And what they're trying to put in place, I think, is step-by-step a plan that will be able to show people that if you you are someone who's looking to get into the housing market or you're a homeowner today, that your housing costs will come down or at least be more manageable, that your energy costs will come down because we're going to be able to get heat pumps uh, into your hands, that... That you can expect that the government will take action to try to curb uh, prices uh, in, in grocery stores. That I think a lot of us have been frustrated with. That uh, that across a variety of things that we see in our daily lives, that are uh, challenges in our household budgets. That there are things that the government is doing to address them. There's not there's not some magical solution that the government can do to wave its uh, wave its wand and magically prices will be different. If you'll remember, uh, "zap you're frozen" <laughs> was a line <laughs> from uh, from another generation. I don't. I, I don't. It's not. Clear that you know they can that they can do any of that overnight, but I think what we will be looking for is to see is there a direction overall of the level of ambition that's needed for this moment in time, and particular housing right like we know that we need effectively three and a half million more homes, um, and we need three and a half million more homes over the next six to seven years to be able to just have a balanced housing market uh, that let alone uh, actually address the cost pressures that people are facing today, and I and and to do that it's going to take a, a heavy lift uh, of some kinds of
0: policy tools that government have not been used to in the last number of decades. I want to come back to that in a moment. What about the issue of what's been phrased as as energy poverty? We saw in Atlantic Canada, for example, um, the government back off, create a uh, carve-out on on issues of the carbon tax um, at the request of MPs who were facing heat from their constituents. Could we see something similar as the temperature begins to drop and people worry about the cost of heating their homes?
1: So I'm not sure that they're going to do that today. I think they might signal that there is a plan for a kind of a national rollout of heat pumps. Certainly, I hope that that's what they signal, and and we see more action on that
0: going into next
1: year's budget. And it, it, because, is a heat
0: pump enough right now?
1: Well, I'm not sure that 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 uh, you know a homeowner who's got a a, a gas furnace is going to necessarily uh, think that that's the solution to all their problems, but but the reality is for many people it actually could be right and it actually could reduce uh, energy costs not just for the the portion of people that are in energy poverty and you know what's interesting when we talk about energy poverty we often think that they're renters um, the majority of people who are in energy poverty in this country are actually also homeowners um, and so this is a challenge that whether you're in Atlantic Canada or Ontario or Western Canada um, the governments ought to be focused on and I think there are some very practical things that governments can do that will bring down energy costs uh, between between now and the next two years and if if I were th- still in government that would be something that I would be wanting to, to action because I think it's not just the right thing to do um, policy wise it's also a good thing to do politically. Things like what? Well, I, I so I think we need a national retrofit program, right? Like, I think we actually need to be looking at how do we help you, um, whether it's to take out your dirty furnace, whether it's to be able to put in a heat pump, whether it's to, to even, frankly, um, think about doing things uh, like flood, floodproofing your basement, right? Like, we know with climate change, um, there, is, there is just a... a, a, um, a uh, a greater risk that we are all living with of, of major climate events that are wreaking billions of dollars of havoc in our economy. And, you know, we do not want Canada to become a place that's uninsurable. And if we don't have governments take action to work with the private sector uh, to be able to uh,
0: to roll out some of these things, uh, Canadians are going to be exposed to those risks. D- there's this idea in the United States that's floating around. that The term is the vibe session, which is that people feel like the economy isn't doing well. Does the voters' perception of how the Canadian economy is doing match the reality of it, do you think?
1: Oh, that's absolutely an issue. Um, if you were to ask Canadians what they think the level of inflation is in Canada relative to other countries, is it worse here than in other countries? Mm-hmm. Most Canadians would say they think, it, that they think it's worse. And the reality is Canada actually has one of the best uh, records around inflation in the rest of the G7. Um, and by the way, next year, we're probably also going to have the, the, the strongest growth in the G7, according to the IMF. Um, all of that, frankly, is cold comfort. I was going to say, does that cold, matter
0: right? when you're going to, no, it ch- to the store to buy you no, know, a liter it of doesn't. milk? Doesn't.
1: No, the, the, the basic reality is that it doesn't. And um, remember that markets are all actually about people, right? And so if, if people ultimately believe that their circumstances are dire, if they believe that there might be a recession around the corner, they will act like there is a recession around the corner. If they act like there's a recession around the corner, we will have a recession. And so the biggest challenge at this stage is actually how do you create confidence, right? How do you create hope? Um, because most of our economy is still weighted towards consumer consumption. And so if we're able to give people hope that either their costs will come down or that they now is a time in which they can, if they're a business, that they can invest because they can have that confidence that inflation is under control and that interest rates are going to come down, um, then... Uh, we will actually see people out in the economy spending money, and if they do that, we will avoid a recession.
0: When you think about hope when it comes to housing, what has to be done to ensure that Canadians have hope that they, their kids or their grandkids are actually going to be able to afford to live here? You co-wrote a piece um, that said that in some ways we need to think about building housing like we built the St. Lawrence Seaway. Is that what we need, like a big, ambitious, home-run swinging kind of project?
1: So the way that we're gonna solve the challenges that we face in our housing market is not gonna come from pulling one lever. It's gonna require a lot of things, but the reason why we need to think about this as a wartime effort, where government has a big role to play in building big national infrastructure projects like housing, um, is because I think people need to see that their government is willing to meet the moment. And I think the challenge, we certainly saw this this summer, is that the challenge that policymakers at all levels, whether they're a mayor or whether they're the prime minister have been running into, is that we keep trying to do mental changes to a problem that is so fundamental and uh, I just think the absence of being able to do that um, uh, probably creates a tone deafness that, that is not good for our overall uh, democracy. But, but we also just need this, a scale, right? Like when we're missing three and a half million homes in Canada, it's a math problem. We need to actually double the rate of how we build stuff in this country. And government has a huge role to play, especially because <clears throat> it owns a lot of land, that it is in a place to be able to turn that land into development. When I was coming into the studio this morning, Matt, uh, we came down uh, into to Ottawa, just past Preston Street, and if you were to go there, just just on the west of, of downtown Ottawa, and same is true in Toronto, same is true in Vancouver, you would see at at Preston and Carling, you know, several forty-story towers going up. Across the street is a facility that's owned by the Department of National Defense, which is a two floor building. There's no reason that we can't maintain that building and build 40 floors of housing on that particular site. Mm. And if we're not willing to do and be ambitious like that, then we're nowhere near the kind of leadership that we need on this
0: problem. Which goes back to, we just have a minute or so left, it goes back to the fact that the clock is ticking. The government may have this plus a budget plus another fall economic statement to come perhaps, but the polls are not good. And so... Is your sense that what we'll see this afternoon, will that meet that moment? So I I don't think that today's economic statement is about Uh,
1: Creating a big national ambitious plan to solve all of those problems. I think it's trying to point us in a direction where they will come back with more details. And I think as we've looked at certainly on the housing issue Mm -hmm. since the cabinet shuffle this past summer, that's actually the approach that the government has been taking. They've been been making announcements week after week, uh, starting to build a really strong momentum um, with deals in cities across the country. And I think they just want to continue that action. I think what I'm looking for is to see, um, as Stephanie mentioned earlier, you know, is that that sense of restraint and focus reflected in some way uh, in the government's kind of approach? Um, and are they able to take a smaller number
0: of priorities and actually try to deliver them? We'll be watching. Tyler, great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Tyler Meredith, Senior Fellow at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto, also a former economic advisor to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The fall economic statement will be delivered, and you can hear it live on CBC Radio, see it on CBC News Network, and watch it online beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern.